It's November 21st, 2018, the day before Thanksgiving. And of course, welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science and technology and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And of course, first, uh, we'll hear from Omar Sultan, and he's here from Accelerate UH and Sultan Ventures. He's going to tell us about the next cohort. And then we'll hear from Axel Hollande. No, Hollenda. From Smart Yields, and he's going to talk about the upcoming uh, IEEE blockchain conference as well as blockchain in agriculture. But first, I want to get back to Omar and uh, find out from Omar what's happening with Accelerate UH and the open application for Cohort 6. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bert. Uh, sorry to disappoint you that it wasn't Tark that showed up. Oh, was, don't worry me, about but, it. I, you know, thank you Omar, for also I, having me. I love you, Omar. You're so you're the <laughs> handsome of the two. Yes, finally, it's on the radio. <laughs> it's there forever. So, Omar, you know, I uh, have been following, you know, the whole accelerator scene from Blue to Elemental to, and of course, Accelerate UH. Of course, of course. Accelerate UH. Uh, there's been a gap between Cohort Five and Six. And tell me, what what created this gap? Why the gap? Yeah, there's definitely been a gap. Um, it's occurred for good reasons, actually. So last year, I think it was around May or June, there was some state law changes, which were pretty significant to help the university sort of remove the shackles that it had and be able to participate more directly in terms of investments and innovation. And so these are great things for the university and for mm-hmm. the state. Um, and so what that allowed the university to do is start to implement some of those changes. And that's been a, a part of the reason why there's a, been a gap between cohort five and cohort six. So the university needed time to take, take advantage is sort of the wrong phrase, but to be able to implement these changes to instill that infrastructure so that it's a much smoother experience and greater opportunity for all parties that are involved. So can you highlight or summarize what the bills enabled UH to do? Uh, Broadly speaking, the two main bills, Acts 38 and 39, uh, allowed one uh, sort of address this ethical concern, ethics um, issue of allowing researchers and faculty to be able to utilize their labs in an appropriate fashion as Mm -hmm. they continue to build these spin-outs and these startups. Um, the other one was allowing the university to partake in more direct investment opportunities. And so um, everyone was very, very creative and flexible in terms of finding a solution to be able to bring an opportunity like Accelerate UH to fruition. And so we all got creative in that solution, but it wasn't a direct solution. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. with these two law changes, it, it's a much more direct solution. It's much more seamless and like I said, it's a better experience for all parties. So the example of, of ethics, uh, would there have been an issue with whether or not it was appropriate for a lab to be used on one hand for research, then on the other hand for perhaps promoting a, a uh, commercial oppor- you know, yep. uh, opportunity? That's exactly right. Ah. So could we use public facilities for commercial gain? And so like I said, assuming the right you know, checklist and um, assuming that it's, it's done in an appropriate fashion with everything – uh, above board, mm-hmm. so to speak, then yes, those opportunities now exist, and a faculty member or researcher doesn't necessarily have to go out and get their own equipment and get their own lab, etc. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. okay, no, that really makes sense. Yeah, it's something that UH system, you know, with President Lasner and Vice President Vasil um, Sermos really kind of pushed hard for. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the so part of the gap was sort of due to the fact that there were some specifics around uh, bills and how you would change operations within the UH system. Yep, 
to how accommodate. Do we, how do we implement this this better infrastructure now? So now that the uh, the green light has been turned on to open it up for the the next cohort, what are you what are you looking for? Uh, we're looking same as always for the best of the best out there, you know, so that we can um, help accelerate their startup creation, their startup growth, and really kind of get that momentum built back up again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, it's been so long since I've last yeah. spoken to you. Yes. What would a a participant, you know, a startup, some, some team that form, forms as a result of, uh, you know, getting involved with Accelerate UH, what would you put them through? Oh, um, in terms of the actual program? Yeah. So it's a 15-week program. Right? We kind of put them through the ringer, so mm -hmm. to speak, mm -hmm. right? So... Uh, we we split up the program into these three distinct phases where the first phase are really going out there and making sure that there's an absolute market need and a customer need for the technology or solution that they're building. And then we help them build those products and we help them build that business based on that you know market validation or that market feedback. And then the last phase is really getting them ready to be um, pitch ready, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. being able to present their companies or solutions in a meaningful manner. Uh, so that it is, um, it resonates with the audience that they're speaking to, whether that's a, an investor or whether that's a potential partner or even an employee. And, uh, you know, typically the, um, like a Blue Startups, they would put some investment, some dollars into investing into the company. So that, that model is the same thing with the uh, Same model. Yep. We invest up to $175,000 into these startups. And is any of that money, that's that's um, UH money, right? That is UH So it's money. not part of the the state's uh, accelerator fund that went into your fund? Not on the investment capital side. On the operation side, HTDC has been a, a great partner as well in supporting Accelerate UH. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because of the... You know the the gap is there a is there a pent up a pent up demand to get involved with the Accelerate UH cohort six? Oh yeah, I was just telling Axel like when we first uh, first met a few mm -hmm. minutes ago um, that even though that this is a shorter time period that we've been recruiting in, it's actually we've had close to a hundred applications already. So there oh, definitely okay, has been a pent up demand, and there's definitely still very strong interest in the and, program. And and um, this this. Um, Demand is not really just isolated to UH Manoa campus, right? It's it's nope. it's system wide. It's, it's system wide, so that means every campus under the UH umbrella. That means every island. That means community colleges. And since yes, since it has been a while since we spoke about this, that means students, staff, alumni, mm -hmm. faculty, uh, people who are external to the university but want to license UH technology. All of them. Uh, this is applicable for. Have um, uh, can you give me a sense as to what you might be specifically looking for? Or is it pretty much a, a, an open an open uh, slate? It is an open slate. Yeah. So at, we've had companies come in that it's one person with an idea, and yes, that is a rarity. That is not the norm. Um, to people and companies who've already raised three to five million dollars mm -hmm. um, and are already generating revenue, and they come in so that we can help accelerate their growth to the next phase. So it really is broad. Well, that's very good. So I'm going to have you stick around because I do want you to uh, chime in on the uh, blockchain conversation that we're going to have. But uh, before our break, I want you to let people know where can they go to actually sign up and apply. Great question. So they can go to accelerateuh.com. That's X-L-R-8-U-H. And then for everyone that's listening today as a Thanksgiving sort of opportunity, we're extending the deadline from Friday to Monday. All right. Uh, 
So it's not like you know you're you're just stuffed with turkey and then you have to get your application exactly. in on Friday. Yes. It's actually extended to Monday. Yes, we don't want any like Kanak applications. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's big of you, Omar. I love it. That's why I love you, Omar. So thanks, Omar. And thank you. Stick around because we do want to talk story about blockchain. But we'll take a short break and we'll ter- return with both Omar Sultan and Axel Holin- Holinda. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> I hope I get it correct the next time too. From Smart Yields, and we're going to be talking about blockchain in agriculture. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, Ulupono Initiative, and Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now, back in the studio, we've got uh, Omar Sultan and Axel Halenda from Smart Yields. And, of course, uh, Omar's from Sultan Ventures. And we wanted to continue our conversation about blockchain and agriculture. But I want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha, Bert and Omar. Thanks for having me, Bert. Great, great. So, you know... And of course, uh, I know Omar. And in the startup environment, I mean, everybody, <laughs> everybody has to include blockchain in whatever <laughs> startup business that they're coming up with. But as a maybe as a quick uh, primer, I mean, Axel, do you want to tell us a little bit about what exactly is blockchain? I think a very very simple uh, definition for blockchain. It can be really broad, but a very simple one would be a decentralized record system okay. or a transaction system. And every blockchain network, they basically they have four basic elements that they share. Okay, and these elements are cryptography, uh, a data repository, or sometimes called ledger, uh, a consensus mechanism, and and a business logic, of course, of, uh, and where all peers have to agree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when people are proposing blockchain as part of their solution, what does it actually take for the team that is leveraging blockchain as a technology to what is it? What kind of what kind of expertise do they need to have in order to leverage blockchain as a as a technology as a tool? I would say there, it depends on you know in which capacity you work with blockchain, but if you're in the technical side, you have to be a coder at least, right? Mm-hmm. Because my, most blockchain uh, projects are written in in language like C or C plus uh, plus. Those are very very low level uh, languages, programming languages. So you got to be a coder at least. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it can be from anywhere from coding people and to community managers. There's a lot of things going on in, in blockchain and crypto communities. So I think the spectrum of you know uh, roles is, is, is really large. So, so Omar, I mean, you've seen an, uh, probably a multitude of startups coming through the door proposing some aspect of their business and their business model that leverages blockchain. How do you validate whether they are actually capable of delivering on whatever solution that they're coming up with? Uh, great question. It's uh, A lot of it is just like an evaluation of any other type of um, opportunity, right? So looking at the team. For blockchain specifically, it's how realistic of, the app- of an application are they talking about. Mm-hmm. Because even though 
blockchain is there now today and there are applications of it that are available it's really certain specific areas that are that makes the most sense now and some of them are just you know 10 or 20 years out so for the startups that are actually trying to focus on things that aren't like to be more specific like aren't in the logistical area or perhaps in the supply chain area that's where i i think we see the most realistic near-term application of some of these technologies. So so be a bit more specific. I mean, what kinds of applications in the near term really would leverage blockchain and be a, a viable solution for, for whatever business or, or, or uh, commercial opportunity out there? Right. So since blockchain is very broadly applicable in healthcare, it could be anything on the supply chain side from um, like tracing the chemicals that are used in terms of like pill creation creation on the pharmaceutical side to supply chain side where it's like actually tracking the resources that are being used. Same thing for uh, agriculture, right? So Axel and I were talking before about this um, in terms of food security. And so I will turn it over to him <laughs> to talk a little bit more about like food security applications because I do think that that's where some of the near-term benefits of blockchain and like realistic applications actually exist. Okay, so so in before we get to the agricultural application, I mean there are some challenges in agriculture now, even without technology coming into the picture. Definitely. So, what are some of the typical challenges that an ag sector might encounter? Well, I would say uh, technology is is a word that people who work in agriculture they they really don't don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, for a farmer, when you talk about technology, they they remind they remember you know big names in agriculture that are not uh, very good for them in the past. So when we approach uh, farmers, for example, we say always we always talk about solutions and not technology or not sensor or whatever. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. they also they are not used to super high level interfaces. They prefer simple things like a phone call or a text message, mm-hmm. and that's that's I think that's a big big challenge, you know. And uh, uh, I think blockchain technologies are very good for for agriculture uh, needs. Pretty much for, for one simple central problem. Everything, all data is clustered. Oh, so, sorry. All data is s- siloed, right? I think that's the best way to put it. So I have my data, you have your data, you have your data, and nobody talks to each other. And and we see problems, and I think we're already going into the problems of mm-hmm, in agriculture, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. CDC recently uh, put uh, this uh, published this food safety alert for romaine lettuce. Mm-hmm. And it's been, I think, uh, it says a month or two months ago, a lot, lot of people getting sick. And what they basically said is stop eating romaine lettuce. Everybody. Because they can't, they can't say where it comes from. Because there's no traceability, there's no you so know. So they they what they what they cannot say where it's coming from. They don't know where it's coming. They from. They don't know the source. Right. They they trying to find, but you, you gotta go to through so many records in so many different databases and uh, you know peers and agents. Uh, so you you get lost. Right. So what's happening is that with the romaine lettuce case, they're seeing the end result, which is people are getting sick. So there's this whole outbreak of of what they suspect to be uh, E. coli contamination. Yes. So when they try to find the the source of perhaps that contamination, that's where the traceability yes. falls short. Perfect. How, yeah. does, how does 
technology address that and where would blockchain fit in? So what happens with blockchain solutions for this particular case, which is, uh, let's call it traceability, food traceability, uh, we're all, uh, say, I'm a farmer, you are a distributor, and Omar is is a restaurant owner. Mm-hmm. So everybody, all, all of us, we share data. So I, I'm growing my romaine lettuce here, and I publish on the, in a blockchain network that I, I grew this, on a certain day, and I, I went through this process. And then once you pick up the rubber lattice from me, uh, Bert, mm-hmm. because you're the distributor, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to also add your record to the same ledger, let's call it like that. Okay. And everybody share, is sharing data. So you know when that romaine lettuce was grown, and it's so much easier to go to go back and trace. Problems so, like this. So, Omar, so... Axel just described an application where we could do traceability with this romaine lettuce. Mm-hmm. And the, the blockchain, let's say, s- system that he uses, now I buy it because I'm the distributor, is the blockchain system would need to be the same, right? And so would it have to be uh, just one blockchain application for traceability that, that connects my distribution network with your growing network? How would... Is there an opportunity for a startup to do something like this? Or what, what would be the actual solution that would help resolve the traceability for this lettuce? Yeah, so to, to, to review again, so currently everything is segregated and siloed, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. so like Axel said, these different entities, these, these different uh, data repositories, they don't talk to each other. So how can, you, how can I go into your database and his database and our database and like put them all together? That's where the blockchain comes in, okay. right? Because it's very, it's a distributed network that everybody is on. And then um, once the information is on there, it's immutable, right? So you can't change it. Mm-hmm, there is, mm-hmm. And if there's a mistake, it's not like you go back and correct that change, right? Uh, sorry, you, it's not like you go back and then fix it and then, no. You make that change in a new block, and so that, that becomes the record. And so what happens with this traceability is that all of that information gets inputted into the blockchain, and it's there. And as every person touches it, it gets updated, but it doesn't, like, you can't tamper with it, right? So it yeah. also becomes um, very difficult to hack, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. and have bad agents mm-hmm. who are trying to, like, introduce phony or counterfeit information. Also, the speed to access it is it's so much faster, right? Uh, so if I have to go through your database... Uh, you have your own system. I don't know which system it is, so it's going to take a while. But if you all share the same system, that means the blockchain network, the information is available right there, right real there. time. Yep. Okay. And it's not like any one entity owns it. Exactly. It's everybody. It's so I, I, I do want to get to the how does one system accommodate you as a grower and me as a distributor? And would that be just one company or is there a set of standards by which you know my blockchain solution your blockchain solution would still be consistent across different let's say platforms so we'll hold that thought okay hold that thought uh we'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Omar Sultan and Axel Holendoff and we're talking about blockchain in agriculture this is Bite Marks Cafe Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Wealth Jar and Locations. 
Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe, and I'm Bert Lum. And if you're just joining us, uh, we're talking to Axel Holenda and, or oh, he's also from Smart Use. I want to also mention that. And Omar Sultan from Sultan Ventures and Accelerate UH. And of course, uh, we're talking about blockchain in agriculture. Right before the break, we're kind of we're kind of unpacking how an actual application using blockchain could help agriculture traceability in this case of romaine lettuce. So I think, uh, I mean, either one, Omar, maybe you can help me out. If a, if a startup were to come up and say, hey, you know, I got a solution to do traceability for lettuce, and it would help to identify from the grower to the distributor, what would be the likelihood of both of us who are both separate in terms of what we do actually purchasing or leveraging this application that would unify our traceability across these different silos. So what's the likelihood yeah. of that? I, I think it's high. I, I think that's the direction that technology and um, these different sectors are actually moving. And, you know, as Axel pointed out, once they understand the solution, right, and there's no, like, tech jargon that's associated with it, people and these industries and entities will see it's actually beneficial for all parties involved. And it's not just, you know... It's not just grower to distributor. I mean, it's true farm to fork, right? Mm-hmm, All the way mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. the end consumer who's eating the, the lettuce. That sort of like security and peace of mind is going to be, I mean, it's it's going to be invaluable. Well, okay. So th- one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to drive home here is the fact that, you know, uh, was it, I guess, late last year, early this year, we had the Agathon. And and at the Agathon, there was a, a team that was looking at leveraging blockchain for the specific purpose of traceability. Uh, they were unsuccessful at actually <clears throat> creating a prototype, so that didn't become a a you know actual project. But we're you know we're at the end of the year now, and and we're still talking about the the need for some of this food traceability. Why hasn't a company actually come to the Come, you know, rise up to the top and actually created a business that does food traceability. Is it, is it hard? Is it uh, what's the, the resource demand? I mean, what, what, what's preventing this? Because we've obviously just identified it as an opportunity. It is an opportunity, and I'm going to pass it really um, in a second, really over to uh, to Axel, kind of to talk more specifically to it. But there are a lot of startups that are trying to tackle this. What I would like to see as an investor is more startups here in Hawaii actually trying to tackle it. Right, right. And what's to, you know, what is it that we need to do in Hawaii to make that solution, that company We need rise? more people like Axel. Okay, <laughs> Axel, okay. The pressure's on you, Axel. Uh, pressure's I, is, on. Is Smart Yield going to do this? I mean, where is this going to come from? Obviously, we've identified an opportunity. Who's going to take the, you know, this ball and run with it? I think I think the pressures they come from from different sides, right? And uh, I truly believe the market's gonna push this need. And at some point, even consumers they want to say, "Hey, I'm sitting in this restaurant. I wanna I wanna make sure the lettuce that I'm eating here, you know, it's safe." So where is this coming from? There's the blockchain and cryptocurrencies. They 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 give you opportunities that. You can't see nowadays. They are amazing. For example, if I wanna, if I wanna tip the farmer for a great job in in growing that Roman lettuce that I'm enjoying here in the restaurant, I can do it through a blockchain solution, right? But talking again, uh, talking again about about different pressures, I believe the the. 
big players are gonna are gonna be very very important in this. I'm talking about the WalMarts. I'm talking about the Whole Foods, and and we know Omar. We were mentioning this before. Uh, Walmart is already working with IBM with a food traceability solution. IBM has a uh, has an open source project called Hyperledger. Mm-hmm. Hyperledger is a it's a multi tool, and one of the main tools is the Fabric, which is basically the permission uh, blockchain. Uh, uh, solution they have in that in that uh, tool set. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, as a, I know you said the, earlier that farmers and and technology sometimes you know they, they don't like to mix well. Uh, but if if I was a farmer and I had a blockchain solution that would help in traceability, what would that look like? Would that be something on my smartphone? What, would that be something I'd have to go back to the computer to actually input? Uh, information in would it involve um, you know RFID? I mean, what would it actually look like in terms of the user interface to now take my crop and enter it into this distributed ledger? I think we we for example, smart yields. We created interfaces that are simple, super simple, and farmers love it. A chatbot, a simple chatbot through the SMS system. Mm-hmm. So you you text there, you get your answers right on re- real time, and that can be an interface for a blockchain solution. You, you don't need like fancy computers or anything uh, to interface with your farmer. Uh, you, we can do it, like I said, with a chatbot. Well, so the other thing that I know is coming up, and I know we wanted to highlight that is the fact that IEEE is is actually coming to town. And they're going to be doing a blockchain in ag forum. So what will this kind of topic be discussed there? And will the result of that forum perhaps result in a, a startup coming out of Hawaii addressing some of these issues? It can be. And we, we, we surely expect something like that to happen. That would be amazing. Uh, it's going to be the first uh, blockchain for agriculture forum in the world, run, you know, run by IEEE. IEEE stands for a- Institute for Electrical and Electronics Engineers, mm-hmm. an institute that I'm part of um, as a senior member. Uh, and we are really, really happy to have it here in Hawaii. And, and Axel, you were instrumental in actually having it come to Hawaii. Oh, yes. Uh, I would say uh, the idea, the original idea was to be just a meetup, mm-hmm. but, and we reach out to the uh, IEEE blockchain, blockchain group uh, and the standards group as well. And this was, this was amazing because it, it was an email that turned into long conversations, and now this great, great event is going to happen next week, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, November 28th and 29th. Okay. Starts on the morning of 28th and ends at lunch on 29th, East West Center. Uh, we definitely want to see you guys there. So what is it that you, if you were to participate in this forum, what would you gain out of it? And uh, yeah, we've got about a minute left. Perfect. I think the the, the network is going to be amazing. Uh, there are people flying here from all over the world, uh, experts in the subject experts in applications, and we're going to talk exclusively with blockchain for agriculture, and it, it's going to be great. I really hope you guys to, to see you guys there. Are you going to go? Heck yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's the URL, URL where people can actually sign up and participate in this IEEE blockchain for agriculture? Perfect. So you go to blockchain.ieee.org, and you're going to find the, the forum in there. 
we have two codes for a huge discount. The normal price is three nine nine, and with the discount code, it goes to forty nine dollars. Oh, yeah. wow! So okay. you can use the Sign codes twice. Farm eighteen or YP two thousand eighteen. Any of these two codes it will give you a huge discount. Okay, awesome. so I'll put that up on our show notes for later on tonight. Axel Holenda from Smart Eels and Omar. Sultan from Accelerate UH and Sultan Ventures. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. (laughs) And of course, thank you for joining us or thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about decolonizing cities. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or on the HPR app. You stay awesome, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. It's a pain of mind to those